This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 18 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Index Fund Advisors, IFA.com. Horsemanship Radio is part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. Today, we have Dale Chavez, a horseman with four decades of knowledge of horse equipment, and he's from California. And then we have Nancy Sue Ryan. She's a leading breeder and exhibitor in the American Quarter Horse Association, and she's from Texas. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Welcome back, everyone. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 15th and the 30th of the month. And we have our, my producer here, Glenn, with me today. Hi, Glenn. Hi, Debbie. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. I have something for you I haven't told you about yet. See, you're going to surprise I, me? Yes, yeah, so I'm going to surprise you on the air hey. so I can con you into doing it and you can't say no. See, <laughs> oh, see that's cut, my trick. Cut. <laughs> So we had uh, over on the dressage radio show, one of the listeners said, uh, we want to get to know the hosts better about their non-horsey lives. Non-horsey lives. And, we don't have any of those. And uh, surprisingly, we do, apparently. Oh. Uh, so what we decided to do at the Horse Radio Network was make June get to know the hosts month. And what we have done is put together a series of questions sort of inside the actor studio style. Okay. Of all the non-horse things about about the hosts, and we're going to be playing all of those on the shows across the network next week. Oh. And we did it with all the different hosts of dressage and driving and horses in the morning and stable scoop and, you know, all of them. Wow. And uh, there's one that we haven't done yet, and that is one. yours. Could be this one. You've been pulling out on me. Well, see, I thought you would say that. no unless I asked you on the air. <laughs> And now you have no choice. You have to do it. So maybe for the next episode, which will still be in the month of June, we I can do an interview of you with all of these very personal uh, non-horse questions. <laughs> okay, I'm game. Are you game? Oh well, I have to after that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, I learned. I've known. You know. Helena was the first show on the Horse Radio Network. By the way, we're coming up on our sixth year anniversary. Oh, congratulations. Um, Helena That's, and is I that started like it. Giant Diamond Jubilee, sort of. I don't know. What is that? Uh, probably I, oh. paper or something. Yeah, paper. Uh, <laughs> but uh, in August the 8th, it'll be six years. We will have hit 3,500 episodes then of all wow. the shows. And wow. Helena and I are going to do, we're going to do, we're going to have you call in too. We're going to do a live party. We're going to have a party one night live show where we're going to hang around for like an hour and a half and, and get all the hosts to call in and uh, some of our listeners to call in. And we're just going to have a party. It's just going to be a lot of fun. So yeah, that that'll celebrate uh, our 3,500th episode here on uh, the Horse Radio Network. Humbling. That is amazing, Glenn. Congratulations to both you and Helena. That's well, amazing. and you're contributing to that now. You've done 18. Well, there so. you go. <laughs> so. Some multiple of... <laughs> You've been uh, a regular guest for years, though. I mean, you really oh, have. Years, You've been yeah. on the show. It really has been years. Has um, it now? Yeah. yeah, because uh, we met in person probably four or five years ago, and we had you on before that. Mm. 
very nice. Thank you. Yeah, and so. and had many, many times. I know that that's yeah. it's been fun. You you guys have a great network. I don't know how anybody's even close to second on this. So I'm I'm proud of you for for creating that for us horse people. Well, and I'm proud of you for stepping up and allowing me to ask all the hard questions. So <laughs> <That's right. laughs> like personal questions, I know. Okay, I'll be thinking about what I'll I can get. I'll send you. Away. I will. I do send. I will send you a list ahead of time so you can mentally prepare because some of them okay. catching you off guard would be like. And some of them are very easy. So, uh, but it is inside the actor studio, and, and I, I, you've probably watched that show before with James Lipton, um, where he interviews all the celebrities. And at the end, he asks the ten rapid fire questions, and we will be asking you those questions. Rapid so. fires. Okay, yeah. here we go. All right, I got to right. drink my coffee that morning. Yeah. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> so we'll do that. I think we have room, right? We have one interview in the next episode, and you're going to be the second one. Okay. All right. You got uh, it. I'll be fine. All right. I, I, I don't know up. why I'm agreeing to this, but, you know, got <laughs> it recorded. Give you a choice. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what's on today's show? Well, I'm excited for today's show because we do have some major players in the uh, horse industry. We've got uh, our first guest is Dale Chavez, and a lot of people will know that name. They've probably seen it carved into leather at um, some of the best uh, trade shows and representations of of Western saddles that they've ever known. Hi, I'm Mark Hebner, president of Index Fund Advisors and proud owner of Monty Roberts Willing Partners graduate, He's a Sugar Bear. <laughs> you know, investment portfolios are a lot like horses. You need to find one that best suits you, your temperament and your stage of life. Some people might like an energetic horse and an aggressive investment portfolio, while others are more comfortable with a gentle ride and a more conservative investment portfolio. The trick is to find the one that's right for you. That's what Index Fund Advisors is all about, matching people with portfolios, risk-appropriate, low-cost, and globally diversified investment portfolios. You can find the right portfolio for you by taking the Risk Capacity Survey at ifa.com, that's IFA as an index fund advisors, or you can call us toll-free at 888-643-3133. That's 888-643-3133. After graduating college with a degree in biological science and chemistry, Dale Chavez was hired to run a 100,000-acre equestrian operation in Temecula, Whoa. California. Wow. 38 years later, Dale purchased land from that same ranch, and it's home to the Dale Chavez Saddles and Showtech now. And over time, he's he's found braiders and toolers and people that do the leather work, and, and some of them have been with him 30 years later now. Dale Saddles, Tack, and Awards are known globally across all disciplines of the horse industry. And today, Dale Chavez is one of the last custom saddle and tack houses in America, handcrafting all of his products within a 30-mile radius of his Temecula ranch. Welcome, Dale Chavez. Hi, Dale. How's it going at Western States Expo there? Great. We just got through setting up, and uh, we're expecting a large show. There certainly is a largest expo I've ever been to. Is that right? Uh, it's in I mean, Sacramento. It's 200 Sac acres of in Sacramento. I didn't realize it was this large. It's huge. Yeah, yeah. And it's and, a little warm, or how you doing there? No. Uh, actually, the weather, it was 103 when we got here, but it's a real comfortable 84 degrees there right now. They've had some oh. kind of a... That's nice. An ocean breeze blows in, blew in, and it's just 
cool things off. Beautiful Very good. Well, people are lucky to have you there. I've given a little background about you, but uh, you must be showing off some pretty saddles up there. Yeah, I've got a 10 by 60 booth, and I brought 40 saddles with me, plus my training equipment, plus my reins, plus my silver head stalls, plus my halters, uh, all the... Oh, and I've just uh, became the official saddlery for the Andalusian world, so we have a complete line of Andalusian Ooh, equipment. pretty saddles and pretty horses. How nice, how nice. Well, we want to get to know you a little bit more. We haven't had you on Horsemanship Radio before, so um, I'd love to tell people about your background because you do have a really unique horsey background. And... Um, one thing that I learned was uh, that your parents weren't really into horses. So what did you, did you ride horses before you made the saddles? Actually, when I was growing up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, I just had a desire for horses. And finally, after constant nagging, my folks bought a place and we had like an acre and a half. Mm -hmm. And I had every square inch of it covered with horses, cows, pigeons, chickens, <laughs> everything you could you could think of. And then I rented a pasture behind me, so I had plenty of project horses and project cows. And then while I was in high school, I went to high school rodeos. I roped calves, and I bowdogged. And then from there, I went to Fort Lewis College in Durango, Colorado. And the first semester I was there, I took my horse, and I made enough money... Uh, going to the little jackpot rodeos around Durango uh, to help me get through the first semester. Good and as you know, it snows quite a bit in Durango, so I didn't keep him there after the first three months. Sent him home. And then I graduated huh? from and I graduated from Fort Lewis College in Durango, Colorado. Yeah, and we we had uh, noted that you were in biological science and chemistry. Goodness, Dale, you're smart yeah. too. I was studying to be a dentist. I was studying to be a dentist. You can wow. believe that. I can't believe that. You sure went <laughs> far from that. <laughs> well, so no, you I love what I do. That's why I do it. Yeah, yeah, and you love horses. That's that's my favorite part. Oh, you're yeah. not just one of those guys that got into the industry because you're smart. Um, and you yeah. were competing in rodeo and and uh, anything else too? Did you did you have a, um, a just a broad spectrum of interest in horses, or were you uh, well focused on rodeo? The, of the uh, reason I'm in Temecula is the people that I roped with in New Mexico uh, became the equine managers there in uh, in Temecula. Uh, it was Ranch of California, mm -hmm. and it was a huge land development and with a 100,000-acre ranch that they were trying to develop. And so the horse program was huge. So my first assignment, right out of college, they hired me, and my first assignment was to design the trail system in Temecula and put on horse shows and rodeos, anything to create activity to bring people to Temecula. Mm. When I got to Temecula, it was 500 people. Wow. And now we're a town of 100,000. Yeah. Exactly. There was There's nobody no here. Yeah. It was a gorgeous, gorgeous ranch. Yeah. It was the Vale Cattle Company, and it was bought by the uh, Pennsylvania Railroad. You remember them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, they bought it, and then they sold it to Aetna Life Insurance Company. Oh, funny. I didn't remember that. Yeah. That's wild. So you've seen some history with uh, the, the wild, wild west out here and land grants and all uh, that, huh? Well, 
uh, Temecula was a hundred thousand acre cattle ranch. Yeah. It was the Vale Cattle Company. And they subdivided it into farming. And a huge part of it was the equestrian end of it. And so they, they devoted many, many, many acres to that part where they put in a racetrack and a trail system. Everything that they developed has come into protection today. So how did you get into the saddle business, Dale? How did, how did horses become saddles? Well, um, I had an accident. I was, uh, we used to give hay rides in Temecula and I was rigging the pull horses, um, for the evening hay ride and the horses spooked and ran over me and drug me, uh, a good ways. So then I was hurt and the people's place that I was putting the hay ride on took me in. And I, it took me about eight months to recover because I got stepped on in the, the rib cage and cut. Uh, it was, it was, it was quite an accident. So then I decided I needed to start making a living. So I started going to trade shows. And in the early days, I was selling Indian jewelry. And I used to share a booth with a company called Victor Leather Goods. And that's where I became acquainted with the, uh, the horse equipment business. And uh, over the years, I phased out the Indian jewelry and went more into the horse equipment business. Uh, And now I'm working the second and third generation of the people that used to work for Victor Leathergoods. Victor Leathergoods was the premier saddle company in California for many, many, many years. So you've really watched the generations of saddles and trees and all that... um, uh, evolve. So how, how have saddles become kinder to horses over you know, the four decades you've been working at this? Well, uh, we've done so many new rigging arrangements so that we've modernized the saddle quite a bit. We, I do most of my saddles are in skirt riggings. We don't have that big D ring bumping you at the knee and cutouts. Uh, the leather company that I use has been in business for a hundred years, Herman Oak Leather Company. Wow. And you can actually order leather to the thickness that you want to put a saddle. Mm-hmm. So I order a certain thickness and then I line all my saddles with pigskin, lining in the fenders and in the seat. I use pigskin. The same pigskin that they use on your English saddles. And, uh, they, you know, I've got saddles that are 20 and 30 years old. And that are just now coming in for repairs. They're so that durable. Well. Yeah, where's well. that durable? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, so, is there anything about tradition that is holding back innovation on saddles today? Do you think that uh, we have some old-fashioned thoughts? Because you've got nothing but cutting-edge thoughts, as far as I know you. Um, what we did a few years ago is we went, uh, before all my saddles were on semi quarter horse bars. Now we've gone to full quarter horse bars and I use a 91 degree angle on the bars to accommodate all the various backs that I use. Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, not all horses backs are the same length. So I cut a lot of 26 inch skirts for a lot of short back horses, which accommodates a lot of breeds that are short back. Morgans, Tennessee Walkers, mm-hmm. Saddlebreds all have short backs 
but they've got spreads at the shoulders that you need that 91 degrees. So mm-hmm. that's how we uh, do I, that. Mm-hmm. And and we make, uh, once I know what the breed is, then I can just do all the, the measurement adjustments and they'll fit, the saddles will fit just fine. Mm-hmm. It, and the points of measurement, is it really complicated, Dale? It, it, how many points of measurement no, do you go, want off your horse? Yeah. Uh, actually, I, I just need a snapshot of the, the horse, need his weight really? condition. Oh, yeah. uh, that's all I need. And just look, take, give me a snapshot of the weather and the weight condition and one shot going down the back, and I, I'll get it right mm-hmm. nine out of ten times. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we have problems with horses fitting a lot of saddles is that a lot of people keep them very fat, and then they'll use them over a period of time, and that'll different. It'll uh, take about two hundred to one hundred fifty pounds off, so it sets the saddle a little different. So mm-hmm. in that case, we'll we'll pad up when they start losing weight, and we pad down when they're perfectly round. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people make the mistake of over padding a horse, and it makes the saddle fit wrong on a horse's back. Mm-hmm. That's a good. He's too thick of a pad. And what kind of pad do you want in there? Then I mean, is there an ideal uh, thickness? Well, um, looking at the horse, I use a lot of three-quarter inch width pads. Okay. Now, I use a, a pad company called Impact Gel, and mm-hmm. I like them because they conform to the horse's back. But there's several, several good pad companies out there. Pro Choice makes a good pad. Uh, CSI makes a great pad. Uh, but I use them because I distribute their pads. But there's several good pads. As long as you got one that's contoured, and if you know the thickness, okay. uh, what you're looking for, that's how you probably fit the, the backs. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask you about because you you make saddles for a lot of champions, and I'm seeing more and more of these young champions that are coming in there, the youth. And you made a clever, clever saddle that I love to share with people. In fact, I took a little photo, and I'll put that in the show notes for people. But it's an innovation in a in a child's walk trot saddle that I thought was a great idea. Do you want to describe that? Oh, yes. The biggest problem parents have is getting, finding a saddle for a six-year-old. They they don't have a pony. They've got an adult-sized horse. So what I do is I make a 13-inch tree, full quarter horse bars, and I put a strap so that the child doesn't kick a fender. The, the saddles come with an extra set of fenders, but until the child grows out of the strap, then they can kick a horse and they're not kicking leather, and it doesn't right. spread them out too wide. Right. So the, the worst description thing you can is do, that, yeah, the worst thing you can do is what? Is uh, spread the child out too wide, and it hurts them. Exactly. Remember, exactly. Every parent old. can picture it. You know the the. Toes up in the air. This this poor little child can't even wrap his legs anywhere, and uh, and yep. I love that. So that strap you're describing actually is connected to the stirrup. So it's basically just yep. it's almost just like a stirrup strap, just coming down That's with the stirrup That's hanging off is. the end of it. It is, yeah. Yep. And, uh, and and you've got beautiful four to five tools. Inches. Four to five inches. Is that yep. what it is? Hangs down. Uh, that, <laughs> they got four to five inches adjustment there. Yeah. So they got room to grow. Very and when they grow out of the strap, they go right into a set of fenders, and I provide a youth set of fenders to go into. Yeah, you've got those nice bent ones, too, so they, they're already yeah. kind of formed. Yeah. When we were kids, we used to throw our saddles in the swimming pool, 
or the or the creek, yeah. whichever whichever was higher, and uh, and yeah. get them all wet, and then uh, bring out a broomstick, turn those stirrups, mm-hmm. and slide it on through, and let her dry. Is that a bad thing? Well, that's the way. That's the way it was done. Uh, we <laughs> use a spray bottle, uh-huh. and uh, we moisten. Everybody's still moist. We moisten the leather to shape it, and but all my styles are twisted and tied so that the fenders are turned so the strip is in the right position all the time. Yeah, yeah, that's that's probably uh, smarter. Probably the chlorine water wasn't yep. any good for him anyway. <laughs> then we had to oil like crazy, but uh, but at least yep. we had our our stirrups turned nicely for our for our knees. Yeah. Yeah. And and I know and that you also the, Oh, go ahead. And on the the youth saddle, I make sure that the leather isn't too thick. Mm-hmm. Um, because that there's a lot of problems with that. You don't want the seat jockey to be so thick that it spreads them out so wide that they're uncomfortable. Yeah. So it's shaved down and shaped to accommodate a, a child. Mm-hmm. Do you so see they grow anybody? very they yeah. grow very quickly. So um, the minute they sit on it, they're comfortable and they go on with the riding, and they can take a lesson. Yeah, and they're not fighting the saddle the whole time of the ride. Very good. So I got to ask you if you see any of your proteges up there at Western States. Anybody uh, riding around on any of your Dale Chavez saddles? Oh, I'm sure there'll be. There's several technicians here, and um, you know I've been in business for 40 years, so I'm I'm sure there's plenty plenty of them here. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't had a chance to see any of the demonstrators here yet because they haven't started their demonstration, but I'm sure there'll be. Uh, there always is. Yeah. There always yeah. is. We, I do have quite a following up here, so I do got quite a few appointments up here. Mm-hmm. And what's nice about it is they've got a place they can bring their horse, and, and if I need to rent to an arena to, to fit a saddle, it's close by. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a huge operation. Well, have fun up there. It sounds exciting. It sounds like there's a lot of people there. I know it is just the first day. You're going you're gonna to be a busy boy for the next three or four days, aren't you? Hopefully, hopefully. We, <laughs> uh, we look forward to talking to everybody. And, you know, everybody's needs are different, so I try to answer everybody's technical questions when they come up because everybody has issues that they need to address, and so I try to, to address them all. Usually we can. Uh, that brings up a good point. Do you have any tips for us that you would like to share as a trainer's tip? Um. I think the biggest problem I have with people is that they keep their horses too fat. Uh, I have a real problem fitting saddles to fat horses. Mm. And people uh, treat love by feeding their horses more. And um, in a lot of instances, that's, that's the only thing I object to, not keeping them overly fat. I like them lean. I don't like them overweight. And it's very hard on a horse you're, you're going to ride them for any distance to keep them fat. That's that would true, be the huh? only thing that I, uh, that would be the only thing that's my pet peeve is when that happens. Mm-hmm. And, and fat is not just over treated, but out of shape a little bit then too, right? goes hand in hand. They're out of shape, out of shape. And it's very hard on a horse to keep them overweight. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you, if you do, you know, stress them out or use them hard, it's very hard on them. So I I I, uh, I always recommend to people try not to keep them fat, keep them nice but not fat. 
That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Happy, but not happy and fat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Thanks. Thanks, Dale. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Dale Chavez. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I know that I'm transforming the lives of horses globally. You can learn to do it, too, on my Equus Online University. There's a new lesson on there each week, all the way from join up to advanced. Watch world's champions give their lessons. Join at MontyRoberts.com. Go to my Equus Online University. You can transform your horse, too. Nancy Sue Ryan has, a leading, has been a leading breeder and exhibitor in the American Quarter Horse Association for numerous years. Her love for horses and competing started as a very young girl in Dallas, Texas, and she's developed a leading breeding program of hunter under saddle horses in the nation. It's one of the biggest. This operation is known as Show Stop Farm. For the last 40 years, Nancy has been competing at the national and world levels with Congress and world championships in multiple breed associations, and she was recently inducted into the National Snaffle Bit Association Hall of Fame. Welcome, Nancy Sue Ryan. We're so excited to have you. I know you're on the road and working hard, but you took a little time out for Horsemanship Radio. I really appreciate that. Um, How is that travel going today? You doing all right? Oh, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful day in Texas. It's 80 degrees and no wind and no rain. So we're we're really, it's a nice day to be traveling. That's good. Count your blessings. Well, we pray for your safety all the way across Texas. It's big there. Um, I I know that you have a a place in Nakona, Texas. I think that's like for 40 years now. So you've been in this industry a long time. Yes, ma'am. A long time. Grew up riding in the 4-H and Went on up to American Quarter Horses and started showing to hunt seed horses primarily. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Um, and your your daughter is also involved in the industry. Um, it's it's a family affair. Right, it's a family. My actually, my grandfather had Morgans, and then my mother had to, she had running quarter horses, and then I used to take her running quarter horses and breed them, mm-hmm. and made English horses, and mm-hmm. that's all. It's all gone down the line. That's fantastic. Do you do you feel like I don't see that so much as the crossover in a lot of different disciplines? Um, do you feel like that's a dying breed, Nancy? These people who are talented with horses across disciplines. Um, for, to cross over like we did, mm-hmm. um, it just it fell in maybe by accident. But the, you know, my mother had really good running quarter horse mares, and we just. She quit running the day that Ruffian broke her leg. So she oh. said she'd never run another horse. So That's she had tough. these beautiful mares, and I just started breeding them to quarter horse stallions to make uh-huh. English horses, and that's how it, it all started. Well, you have a big breeding. You're one of the leading breeders and exhibitors now, I think, for the American Quarter Horse Association. Is that right? Yes, it's been, it's been good. It's been good to me. I, I love the food mares and babies. It's my big focus right now in life. I really enjoy them. It's, it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. But you're still going down the road and showing and blowing. Hmm? Yes, it um, starts mm-hmm. now. In June, we will start showing well, June, show June, July, August, September, and finish up the World Championship show in uh, Oklahoma City. And then December is kind of a month off and maybe mm-hmm. show very little in January and then the babies start coming and it's, they yeah. demand a lot of time for about five months. 
They sure do. So what is your passion these days? Do you prefer the being called a breeder or uh, do you prefer being called a competitor? I'm just a horse enthusiast, probably. Um, <laughs> I love the breeding. The, the breeding is, it's been, it's, it's a highlight for me. It's, um, cause it's, it's like a watermelon. You know, you don't know what you're going to get until you mm. cut into it. And, you know, when those babies are born, you know, you can make all the plans and do everything you want to have that perfect baby and things mm. can go wrong or, you know, you do the, cross that you really, really look forward to, and then when it comes out and it's what mm. you bred for, it's just, it's amazing. It's just an amazing thing, and it's, you know, it's there's some heartaches with the breeding business, but on the other side, it's it's good. It's always very good. The, when those babies come out and they stand up and those legs are straight and they're healthy, yeah. <laughs> you thank the Lord, and you go on with the next one, but yeah, it's the breeding is probably my primary right now. Is the breeding? Yeah. Well, it's yeah. Fanta- yeah, fantastic to hear that too. I think my mother, Pat Roberts, would agree with you too. It's it's like a cycle of life for her too. That she, you know, you 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 good horsewomen, you know how to breed them eventually. I don't know what that is. It's like a a good actor in a young age becoming eventually a director or a producer because you know so much about the background of the industry, don't you? Right, right. And it's, it's, you know, it's it's a difficult business, but it's, it's so rewarding. It just, I don't know, it's just, it's good. It's it's very, very good for, it's, I love the business. I can't say that enough. We had yeah. uh, 28 this year. We have one wow. disappointment. It was premature and we did everything. You know, we kept him alive for three weeks and we shouldn't have but we tried you know we gave him every chance but you know there one you. out of 28 it's you know it's right can't control mother nature and she the mayor was telling us she was not right because she kept you know she was running her milk three mm-hmm. weeks before the baby sold and mm-hmm. she was telling us things aren't right and we kept with it and you know with and the and then in the wild it probably wouldn't have ever yeah. Even been born, you know, even made it as far as it did. So, yeah, I know yeah. the medical industry really has uh, the vet, vets these days are amazing. And the uh, med clinics that uh, provide do you um, do you what's what's the latest greatest that's going on that you just are so enthusiastic about it? Is it on the nutrition side or is it the medical side? Well, the nutrition is for me, um, I am so concerned about nutrition. It's just, I think it's the whole, everything. It's everything is the nutrition when it comes out because it's, if they're not fed well, the mares aren't fed well. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, it's right when they first get pregnant, all the way through the pregnancy. And then once a the baby's born, again, nutrition is so important. It's yeah. the foundation to everything. And so it's, I'm strict about our, nutrition and you know they get the best that we can afford to buy them and can't afford to buy them but they get the best and we make sure that each baby and I it's just like it seems like this year I've been on the same feeding program for like three years now and it's like does it just get lucky and like every mare come out with a really good baby this year or is it just three years Mm -hmm. of nutrition and I believe that's what it is I really believe it's my nutrition program it's been consistent for three years, 
and I think it's taken that long to get those mares where they're very healthy and everything's worked out and the babies have come out straight-legged and healthy and, you know, they have a little meat on them and, mm-hmm. and they stand up and you get them nursing and off you go. It's It's been really good. Oh, that's great. So you're seeing uh, mm-hmm. a little wind under your wings with the three-year-olds then too, seeing that nutrition? For the babies, yeah, mm-hmm. when they grow up. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, I just feel like, I do feel like I've taken me probably three years to get to this point on my nutrition because I've been so strict with it. Mm-hmm. And um, I just, I feel like that's why we're now with the babies, the weanlings that came this year, you know, we no leg issues, no crooked legs, no windswept baby. I just think it's, it's just because it's been three years and those mares are consistently fed on the same diet and I just think everything's working right with them. Yeah. Well, 28 is a lot of, a lot of babies to prove. So there you go. That's, that's, yeah, that's very yeah. cool. It is fun to see that we go to other parts of the world now and, and see some of the breeds that the quarter horses came from, like the Criollo breeds down in Brazil and South America and some of those. And they are a bit smaller. I mean, you can kind of tell that a good, program, both exercise, uh, you know, good diet, good nutrition, everything is really working in the U.S. um, because of that evolutionary process that we're seeing happen. I don't know if you've had any chances to see some of those, those um, older breeds, I guess we'd call them. Right. And I have not seen those. I've gone to Europe and looked at their horses Mm -hmm. and really impressed with what they do with their horses and how you know, those breeds are, you know, you have to have the type and you have to have the stallions and the stallions are tested and you have to pass a lot of tests to even be able to be a stallion, to be a breeding horse. And I'm amazed at that. I'm um, a little envious of it. I think it's a great idea for within their breeds. I don't think it would work here in the United States, but I, I do think it's a good thing. So I've not seen no the like in the Spanish part, but the European I have mm-hmm. gone over there and looked at their horses, and it's it's quite impressive. Good. Well, we're lucky to have you in the breed, the American Quarter Association. I know that's uh, that's the one I grew up with. Uh, thoroughbreds were sort of a side side note, but uh, American Quarter horses are are a lot of fun and sturdy and strong. And we're glad to have Nancy Sue Ryan staying in the industry as long as you have and bringing them to an excellent spot. Well, good luck. What, what's your next show? What's, what are you up competing well, to? Well, we're going to the summer circuits are starting up. We're doing a show in Iowa and then North Carolina and then go to Michigan and then the NSBA world championship show and then mm-hmm. Congress and then the world. That's in between, but it's yeah, done. The year's over already on the calendar. You're like, oh, ah, don't say that. Don't say that. We'll enjoy every minute. We know that um, hopefully we people will. will get out and get to see you, Nancy Sue. And uh, we're so proud of all the work, the lifetime of achievement that you've spent in the industry. And keep advocating for horses. We love to hear it. Okay. Well, thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Up next with our trainer's tip, Pat Roberts. Welcome back, Pat Roberts. Hi, Mom. Hi, Deb. Hey, do you have a tip for us today? We have a lot of people listening that might be, you know, wondering about your horsemanship and your experience with biters. Oh, okay. Well, you know, that that brings to mind, uh, it was just yesterday, uh, a, um, 
wonderful lady who's uh, probably one of the finest pianists in the world, Helene Grimaud, uh, purchased a horse from us um, last year, one of our willing partner horses, and he's a lovely horse, and she took him back to New York, where she's been boarding him, and she said that he started a little habit, and it's, uh, he when he's on the cross side, ties, she walks up to him and he nibbles, and she's never fed him by hand, because she knows that, that that's a no-no, and she said, what do I do? She said, uh, you know, is it a bad thing, or... Uh, you know, what do you feel about that? And I said, well, the way I feel about it is they start out nibbling. They may go on and move on to biting. And we don't want to do that. So what we want to do is in- discourage him from the nibbling. And she said, well, how do you do that? And I said, well, it's really very simple. Uh, when he does that, you take your, your toe and you tap him down on his coronet band or his shin and nothing that's going to be painful, but that will distract him from the nibbling. And every time he nibbles, you do the same thing. And it's amazing how fast they learn. And pretty soon, he'll start to nibble, and then he'll look down at his shin or his, his ankle, coordinate band, and he'll stop. And I, I think that's a great tip. I don't know if very many people know about that one, but it works. It's kind. There's nothing uh, cruel about it. And uh, horses are smart, and they get it. So that's my tip of the day. I like that tip. So how many times do you think you have to bump that little coronet band or bump the shin before they start to look down? No, that that depends on the horse. It depends on how long they're doing it. Now, if you actually have a horse that's actually biting, it may take a bit longer. But if if a horse is just nibbling and it just needs a little bit of distraction... Uh, it wouldn't take very long. I would say probably three or four incidences like that, and they'd probably start to get the the idea. A biter may take a bit longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've gone all the way to a bad habit. So we don't have this on the on Monty's Equus Online University. We're going to have to film this because that sounds really good. Ah, I can yes. see them rolling their eyes in the head like, How, why is it always the shin? Why? <laughs> That's great. That's a great tip. Thanks for coming back and and sharing that again. We'd love to have you back. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, in Solvang, California, August 4 through 8. In 2014, it's Monty's special training, and it's our 10th anniversary. And October 5th, he's at Maristwood College in the UK. October 10, Easton College. October 16, Arena UK in Lincolnshire. In October 18, he's at the Myersco College in Preston. October 22, he's at the Grange in Oakeyhampton, Devon. And October 24, Hartbury College. October 30, Greenlands, EC, Carlisle. And November 1, he wraps up his U.K. tour in Glen Eagle, Scotland. You can find Monty's complete calendar at MontyRoberts.com or call 805-688-6288. For details about today's show, go to HorsemanshipRadio.com where you can find links, photos, and more information about our past guests. You can also listen to all the past episodes there. 
And don't forget the app. If you want to listen on your phone while you're cleaning stalls, driving on your endless drives, if you, especially if you live in California, yep. uh, <laughs> uh, doing dishes, you know, whatever it is, you can uh, listen through our app. If you have an iOS or an Android smartphone, just go to the App Store and search for Horse Radio Network, and you'll find the Horsemanship Radio Show, one of the 10 radio shows on the app. And as always, we love your feedback. And please follow us on Facebook under facebook.com slash Monty Roberts and at Twitter at twitter.com slash Monty underscore Roberts. Very good. And many thanks to our sponsors. Be sure to visit all the other great shows on Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. And until next time, have many happy horse hours. <laughs> 